Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Doing the right thing is usually the hard thing. That's how you know it's the right thing, because it's the hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Let me explain. Would you agree that it's so easy to treat my enemy as my enemy has treated me? The right thing is the hard thing. No, don't treat your enemy as your enemy has treated you. No, feed them if they're hungry. Pray for them. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Parag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. If you've been wronged, it's only natural to want to get someone back equally and hurt them the way they hurt you. But what if your response was the opposite? What if you served the one who hurt you and even prayed for them? Today, Pastor J.D. suggests that your heart might even turn toward your enemy. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 18. Here's where this is going to come up again. (laughs) A man who bears false witness against his neighbor, notice this, is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Wow. Uh, Let's start with the sharp arrow first. Kind of carries with it the idea of from a distance, somebody's firing false accusations against you from a distance. Uh, That's the sharp arrow. How about the sword? Oh, they cut you into pieces. How about the club? Oh, they just bludgeon you. What are they bludgeoning you with? What are they cutting you up with? What are they shooting arrows at you with and for? Oh, they're the arrows of false accusations lies, rumors, gossip, talking stink. You're being bludgeoned, you're being cut, and you're being pierced by those who bear false witness against you. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for 38 years now, and I have to say this is probably one of the most painful things that any of us could ever experience, being on the receiving end of a false accusation. I mean a flat out lie. Getting back to this whole thing about somebody talking stink about you and falsely accusing you of something that you are innocent of. And you know, one of the things that I've learned, am learning, let me just, one of those things, it is what it is, The fact that you're being lied about, well, that hurts plenty, right? But you know what even hurts more is when people believe it. And they won't come to you and ask you eyeball to eyeball if it's true. That's even more hurtful. So somebody spreads a rumor and 
falsely accuses you and lies about you and gossips about you and everybody just, they're guilty until proven innocent. So it's like that, what's that saying? Um, how do you, how do you answer this? Hey, are you still beating your wife? <gasps> You'll never look at that man the same again because you will always see him as beating his wife. He's never laid a finger on his wife. You see what I'm talking about? And you believe it. That cuts, that cuts deep. Cuts like a knife, like a sword, just cuts. And like a club, blunt force trauma to the head, it just bludgeons you. And then that sharp arrow, the the arrows that are being shot at you, oh man, that just pierces your heart. Verse 19, we better move on. I'm going to cry. (laughs) So hurtful, isn't it? You know, that's why God takes it seriously. Because of the damage and the destruction that it can cause. I've shared this before, and again, just bear with me. We'll get to verse 19 in a second, but maybe I just need to share this. I've seen over the years... Lives destroyed, marriages destroyed, ministries destroyed because of this, because of verse 18. False accusations, bearing false witness. I've seen assassination of character, this club beating up on and the sword cutting up on and the sharp arrow (laughs) and the destruction that it's left in its wake. You know, the saddest part of this is what it does to the kids. Because they see Christians, adults, behaving like this. And it's no wonder, I think we need look no further than this, as to why it is that young people, when they grow up, they want nothing to do with the Lord, the church. They'll never enter a church again. This is how Christians treat their own. You know, it's interesting, Jesus, and we're going to talk about this a little bit on Sunday in 1 Thessalonians 5, where Jesus says that the litmus test, the the gauge, the way that people are going to know that you're my disciple is by how you treat other people, how you talk about other people, how you talk to other people, your love one for another. That's how they're going to know that you're my disciple. Now, don't you think that Satan knows that? So if it's by our love one for another that they're going to know we're Jesus' disciples, then wouldn't it stand to reason that it would be our backbiting, talking stink of one another, that they will question whether or not we're really Christians? And you call yourself a Christian. You know, I think there's some validity to that. I think that's a, that's a valid and legitimate question to ask of a Christian who would behave in such a way. Verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth. My goodness, I can, I can already feel the root canals I've had over the years. And a foot out of joint. In other words, 
you can't chew if you got a bad tooth, you're in too much pain, you can't rely on that tooth, you're going to crack it even more, or you can't stand, let alone walk, forget run on a foot out of joint. Well, that's what it's like putting your confidence and relying upon somebody who is unfaithful and unreliable. And this again speaks to what we just talked about. As Christians, we should be dependable. Our yes should be yes, our no should be no. I think we are bad advertisement, if I can say it that way, for Christianity. When we're unreliable, we're unfaithful, you cannot trust us, you cannot depend on us to follow through and do what we've committed to do. Verse 20, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather, and like vinegar on soda, you know what happens when you put vinegar on soda? You can do an experiment. There's a reaction. Well, so too is the one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Oh, this is interesting. In other words, you got somebody that's really downcast, discouraged, really going through a hard time, and you're so insensitive as to, you know, Praise the Lord! You know, sing songs and be all chipper and cheerful. I think of it this way. As Christians, we should be so hypersensitive to the Holy Spirit in a situation where we should read the situation and be very careful because you don't know what that person is going through. And to try to be all, you know, happy and, you know, even phony, dare I say. Well, you're going to cause a little bit of a reaction, like vinegar on soda, like taking away a garment in cold weather. That's cruel. That's cruel. You know, I think about, well, I don't have time. But just be careful and be sensitive to what you say to somebody. You should read this situation. I knew a guy on the main, I was thinking about this, and this was a gift. This was a, I think it was a discernment of the Holy Spirit, where first of all, he wouldn't come in with all guns blazing, so to speak. I mean, he would come in, he wouldn't say a word. He would just kind of read and take the temperature of the situation, of the conversation. And going back to that proverb we just read, a word fitly spoken, <laughs> like apples of gold in settings of silver. He would read it, he was so sensitive to it, and at the right time he would say the right thing with the right heart. And it would just bless your heart, especially if you had a heavy heart. Be careful, be sensitive. I think we're, as Christians, guilty of being so insensitive to people, other Christians. Verse 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, early on in my walk with the Lord, I always thought this meant that you just kill them with kindness. You do nice things to them, you know, they're, they're your enemy. 
So if your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. I'll give him bread, all right, laced with cyanide. Don't look at me like that. It's what you think too, yeah? This is the enemy. Give him food to eat? No, I'm not going to give him food to eat. He can starve for all I care. No, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Oh, here's why. Because if you do that, you're going to heap burning coals on their head. Okay, now that's more like it. That's what I'm talking about right there. Oh yeah, burn them. <laughs> that's not what it means. Nice try. I tried that. That's not what it means. You know what it means? So in that day, in that culture, if you heaped coals of fire on somebody's head, you were actually giving them coals to start a fire to stay warm with. That's a good thing. You were giving them coals to start a fire to cook with. That's a good thing. Oh, I don't want to do that. No. The Lord will reward you if you do that. What did Jesus say? He kind of raised the bar. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who speak evil of you. By the way, <laughs> this, is a, this is a powerful truth. It can change the whole complexion of that relationship with that enemy. Have you ever tried to pray for an enemy? No, at first it's a little rough. I'll admit, when I've tried to pray for an enemy, I mean somebody that's just out for me, I mean, they wake up in the morning and they are trying to figure out how to get to me. That's my enemy. And I'm going to pray for them. I'll pray for them, all right. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll kill them. Just kill them. That's not what Jesus means by pray for your enemies. Here's what happens. It might start off a little rough and you're trying, you know, Lord, okay, I'll pray. Just, okay, Lord, blah. Bleh, bleh, <laughs> bless them. Ah, there I said it. And it's not long before all of a sudden now your heart changes towards them and they're no longer your enemy. Because now that you've prayed for them, you have an investment in them and you want to see God bless them and it changes your heart toward them. That's the why behind the what when Jesus says, pray for your enemies and do good. Give them bread to eat. You know, um, there's a healthy shame, a healthy remorse, a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. You know, kindness and doing that for your enemy, that can win them over and quick. Verse 23, the north wind brings forth rain, and here it is again. I'm not making this up. This is in the Word of God. And a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. In other words, just like the north wind is going to bring rain, if there's a storm front from the north, so too is a backbiting tongue going to be met with an angry countenance, and rightfully so, rightfully so. And would to God that it were more so. And here's what I mean by that. You know, when somebody's backbiting and gossiping, would to God 
that it would be met by our angry countenance, a righteous anger. Don't you do that. I rebuke you. That is not right, what you're saying about them. That is a righteous anger. Would to God that we would be more angry with the backbiting tongue. How dare you speak about them like that? No. (laughs) That'll uh, put an end to that conversation real quick. And then they'll block you on Facebook, and then you can move on. Verse 24. This is a, it is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. How many times have we read a proverb like this in our study through Proverbs? This is like the fifth time, I think. This woman has not repented yet. I mean, first we read about, you know, being in the house, And then there was that one proverb, remember that one? It's better to dwell in the wilderness than to be in the presence of a contentious woman. In other words, you can't even be in the house anymore. Forget the roof of the house or the corner of the housetop. I mean, I'm out of here. You're in the wilderness now. You're going to get as far away as you can. Okay, what's the point? (laughs) There is a point here, and it's not to bash on the wife. But I think the point is this. The home should be a place of peace and calm and harmony. The home should, every husband, every wife, every child has the right to have their home be a sanctuary, a haven of peace. It should not be a place where there is contention. Okay. Verse 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. You know, this is, again, this is back in the day in that time. It would take a long time to get news. You would send word, bring word back. How's it going? I need need some news. (laughs) In this day and age, we, I mean, we, we are... What was that one statistic about that we process more information in one day than our forefathers processed in like two or three lifetimes? How's that? That's actually a prophecy. We've talked about that in our prophecy updates. But So it's good news when you finally receive word back. Verse 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. This is saying that a Christian who compromises, who falters, who kind of bends the rules a little bit in front of doing business with the unrighteous, that's it, murky spring, polluted well, you've completely ruined your witness to the wicked, to the unrighteous. Verse 27, here's that honey thing again. Only this time it's very applicable. It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. In other words, self-promotion, self-exaltation, seeking to be glorified will make you sick. just like eating 
too much honey. You know, the psalmist says that promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, only from the Lord. Don't seek your own glory. It will nauseate not just you, but those around you. Who wants to be around somebody like that? And then lastly, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. They have no defense. Somebody who does not have the discipline, they cannot control the self-control of the Holy Spirit, their own spirit, their own temper, their own behavior, they're like a defenseless city with broken down walls. The walls were the defense. Well, I'll close with a couple of thoughts about Proverbs 25. It's actually one of my favorite chapters. I know I say that about all the chapters in Proverbs, but to me it's a much needed reminder that doing the right thing is usually the hard thing. That's how you know it's the right thing, because it's the hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Let me explain. Would you agree that it's so easy to treat my enemy as my enemy has treated me? The right thing is the hard thing. No, don't treat your enemy as your enemy has treated you. No, feed them if they're hungry. Pray for them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. That's hard. Yeah, but it's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is the hard thing to do. It's so easy to think my neighbor is guilty instead of just talking with them first. That's the hard thing. It's hard. Probably one of the hardest things in all of the scriptures that we're told to do is to confront somebody concerning a matter and settling that matter. It's so much easier just to talk to everybody else. That's easy, but that's not right. The hard thing is the right thing, and the right thing is the hard thing. It's so easy to say what you know others want you to say, or do what you know others want you to do. But here's the hard thing to do. It's to say a word fitly spoken. Even if you stand alone, it takes a disciplined commitment to take a stand and do what's right, even if it hurts. You made a commitment, you got to do the right thing. Oh, it's going to be so hard, but you got to do it. you got to do it. It's a discipline, and it comes by way of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to dismiss Old Testament books as ancient texts that hold little meaning for you today. However, there's plenty of application for your life right now in this modern world. The book of Proverbs is one that specifically provides advice, admonishment, and encouragement for your life as a follower of Christ. As you listen to Pastor J.D.'s message today, though, you may have realized that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, we'd like to encourage you to change that right now. We have a simple guide that will tell you more. 
Just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This will tell you why it's so important to put your faith in Jesus and how easy it is to start a relationship with Him. We'd love to hear from you too and we're available to answer any questions you may still have. Please get in touch with us through our contact form on our website. Again, that's InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you join us for our worship services. Bring your friends and family along too. It's a great time of fellowship and learning about God with Pastor J.D. Be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in again to continue studying the truths found in the book of Proverbs right here on In Spirit and Truth. truth, truth.